Hello, adventure friends. Welcome to the Thought Cocktails podcast, lubrication for the business brain, where we talk about startups, the technology industry, marketing, positioning, the emerging business discipline of category design, and other pirate musings. I'm Colin Vincent, co-founder of Equity Directory, along with my co-host Christopher Lockhead, former three-time CMO who is now a CEO marketing coach, category designer, and co-founder of Play Bigger. Chris, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. All right, all right. I guess greetings and libations, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in with us again today. It's good to be here, Colin. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. So we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to answer a question on Quora. What is the best advice for a young first-time startup CEO? And then we're going to talk about the Warriors and their category redesign of basketball. Yeah, fun, fun topics. And, and given you're a young first-time CEO, you might have things to uh, talk about on the core question, Colin. I certainly will. So uh, let's, let's, from your perspective as a CEO coach, let's open that up. Well, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people, when they talk about advising first-time CEOs, they talk about typical things like get a great team and, and um, focus on your product and, and, and things along those lines. So, of course, those things matter. Um, but what we've learned at Play Bigger is the legendary entrepreneurs ultimately get three things right. And we call it today prosecuting the magic triangle. So when you analyze um, legendary entrepreneurs who built enduring category king companies um, that create value over a long period of time, what you discover is that every legendary entrepreneur does three things at the right time. They get the, the product right, they get the company right, and they get the category right. And the last one is the one that everybody forgets. And so uh, the one we would underscore for first-time CEOs is remember that categories make companies. That is to say there has to be a market for you to do any marketing. People have to want to buy what you sell. A mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is they want to market their solution in the absence of a problem. And so what we know is the legendary entrepreneurs are the ones who can, at the same time, create a company, a product, and a category. And if you can create a new category, then uh, the company that creates the category is best positioned to dominate it. And what our big data science research tells us is that in the technology space, one company takes 76 percent of the economics in every space or category. And so the objective for first-time entrepreneurs, uh, and frankly for any CEO, but for particularly young first-time startup CEOs, is you got to get all three right. Right product, right company, and right category. <clears throat> and so this is called a triangle, a magic triangle? That's what we call it, yeah. Interesting. Is this something that you guys came up with? Yeah. Yeah, and it's something we can. Uh, we have a simple visual for. We could we can post along with the answer to this question if you think uh, if people would like to see what it looks like. But um, yeah, great. Now <clears throat> let's dig into some of the the personal aspects of of being a first time startup CEO and and as um, as a leader and as a as a startup um, hustler. What are some of the things that you would recommend that we do? Um, in our quest for category dominance from the get-go? Well, 
probably the most powerful thing you can think about, and we've talked about this uh, somewhat in the past, is um, answering the question, what problem do we solve? Because what we know is new categories get created, new markets get created when problems get articulated in a powerful way. And solving a problem the market either didn't know it had or didn't know could be solved in a new and innovative way. But first and foremost, categories get created when there's an acknowledgement of a problem. Um, before Netflix, driving to the video store to go rent a movie that they didn't have anyway and talking to a kid with a bunch of zits who was not that helpful about it was just what you did and nobody thought about it until Reed Hastings and the folks at Netflix evangelized that that was a problem and you could solve that problem by going to a website. Um, nobody thought that a horse and buggy was a problem until Henry Ford said, um, the automobile, and, and most importantly, what he called it in the beginning, um, uh, the horseless carriage. You and I did not think we had a file sharing and syncing problem until Drew and the team at Dropbox told us we did and said we could use this thing called the cloud in a completely different way. And now all of us share our files that way. But before that, nobody really thought they had a problem. And so my, my point is, the legendary startup CEOs get very clear about defining the problem and then they evangelize that problem. The bigger the problem, the more time and money people will spend solving the problem. So let's take it back a little bit to the, um, I want to talk a little bit about what it takes to be a first time startup CEO. And, and maybe we can touch a little bit on something that I've heard a lot about lately called grit. And I wondered if you had any thoughts, or, thoughts yes. around that. Um, yeah, so did you want to say something about, about being a, a, a start, startup CEO first? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have some comments, but I'd like to, to get your thoughts on, on that particular topic. So a lot of people are going to tell first-time CEOs this, but it's it's worth it's worth notice, noticing or note, noting. Um, it's going to be a lot fucking harder than you think it's going to be. And one of the reasons um, there was another core post I saw recently about the age of young tech CEOs. One of the reasons they often tend to be younger people is because. Um, when you're younger, you tend to be less jaded and, and grumpy, and uh, <laughs> and you don't know what you're in for. You don't know how much work it's really going to fucking be, and, uh, and and so you're, if you will, and I say this with a smile, dumb enough to think it's possible, and um, and you've got the energy level to be willing to work 100 hours a week on it, and so it's going to be way harder. And you're going to you're going to suffer way more setbacks and way more disappointments um, than you can possibly uh, imagine. There's a quote that I love, and I'll probably get it wrong, so I'll paraphrase it a little bit from Ben Horowitz, the legendary entrepreneur, the founder or co-founder of uh, um, Andreessen Horowitz, the venture firm, and he wrote a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And he's got a quote where he says something like, um, "When I was a startup CEO, I slept just like a baby. You know, I, I woke up crying every two hours and screaming. You know, um, yeah. And so, so there is an element of that. And and so, to your point, Colin, it takes a tremendous amount of grit. It takes a tremendous amount of commitment uh, to the mission." Um, another legendary venture capitalist, Jim Getz at Sequoia, says that they look for mission 
driven founders. Um, that is to say that people who are possessed with uh, solving a problem or delivering a particular kind of new technology innovation or whatever the case may be. And your possession with that is so strong. The mission, sense of mission that you feel um, drives you. Uh, and then there's one other thing that I know you and I can both relate to, which is um, an, another quote that I'll paraphrase from Eminem. You know, success is my only and option. Uh, failure is not. And another quality we like to see in, in entrepreneurs is people who have no choice but to succeed because, uh, uh, at least in their own minds, they don't have any other real options or they certainly don't have any better options. And so they got to make this option stick. Is that, is that one you know anything about, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I've committed to equity directory full on, and this is my only other, my, my only mother effing option. Yeah, uh, we love to see entrepreneurs who are working without a net. It's, it's very, very focusing. And uh, I think I can speak for, for my Play Bigger co-founders, Dave and, and Al, in their entrepreneurial past, they were in those situations. And uh, certainly when, when I started my first company when I was 18, 19 years old, I'd gotten thrown out of school for being stupid and um, had a manual labor job and, and, and really no other option. And so uh, success was my only MF and option uh, because it was either that or, uh, or be a hospital orderly in my case. And so, yeah, entrepreneurs who are possessed by an idea, who have the grit to work 100 hours, and who are on a mission and or have no other option. Success is their only option. Um, because there are so many times where you're going to want to quit. The real, the real question is, what's going to stop you from quitting when uh, everything in your body, all your, your bones, your muscles, your soul, your spirit is, 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 is sort of crying for you to quit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, when that happens... Um, I, I'm, that, that I'm going to bring up an, uh, one of the answers from someone else here because it, it relates to that. Um, Peter Berg says in his answer, find a couple of trusted, experienced advisors slash mentors. And I think that's critical because when you're feeling that bad, like you just mentioned, having a, an advisor or mentor that has been down the road before that can pick you up and dust you off and, and give you a little kiss and, and tap your butt and, and, and send you on your way matters a lot. Yeah, who, who's on your team? And particularly somebody who can be a mentor that you respect and admire who's been down this path before. Um, you know, recently we just lost uh, uh, the coach to Silicon Valley, Bill Campbell. And uh, uh, there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley in the technology industry right now that have a, have a heavy heart um, because most people would say, certainly in, in our era, uh, he's been the greatest CEO and entrepreneur coach in Silicon Valley. And if he's not, I'd like to know who was. Um, and and in, in many of the entrepreneurs and, and, and CEOs you saw eulogizing Bill when he, uh, when he just passed away, you heard that. You heard saying that he was... Um, the first call they wanted to make when the shit hits the fan. And I know for us at Play Bigger, our goal with the companies that we work with is uh, the ideal scenario is when things are going great, we're the first call or email the CEO or, or you know co one of the co-founders wants to make to share their excitement about something legendary going on. And when the shit's hitting the fan, um, we're the first email or text or call um, 
because uh, they know that we're going to be on their side. And if we have to, we're going to, um, we're going to put on our fatigues and jump in the foxhole with them. So, um, all of us have to have an advocate. All of us have to have somebody who will stand for us when we cannot stand for ourselves. Uh, when our, when we're lacking in the grit that we need, because, um, the shit will hit the fan. Yes. Yes, it will. Um, there's a, another interesting comment here from someone else. Uh, this one is from, uh, I just lost it for a second. Give me a minute. Uh, Jared Kim. Jared Kim says to communicate and be transparent with your team. And I thought that was a really interesting point because you want to make sure that the team is on board with what's going on. And if you start hiding things from them, then trust starts to erode. Yeah, it's interesting. And this notion of being transparent, what we found is um, whatever level of communication you have with your team and your company, regardless of the size of the company, uh, you have to maintain that in good and bad times. Or said a different way, if you're the kind of founder and CEO that um, celebrates in front of the team when a good thing happens, then when a bad thing happens, uh, we think you forfeit the right to kind of hide in your office or stay at home or hide behind your email. Uh, and so whatever level of kind of openness and, 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 and direct transparent communication you're going to have um, has to be maintained in good and bad times. Um, it's the same thing with the external media. We don't think it, uh, it makes sense. If you're going to sit there and pose for uh, photographers to take your picture to be on the front of TechCrunch or Fortune magazine or, you know, startup, ding dong, blog, whatever. Uh, then when the shit hits the fan and people want to talk to you, we believe you give up the right to say no comment um, because pe people view it as bullshit. And so, uh, yeah, whatever level of communication you're going to have, you have to stick to it in good times and in bad and bad times legendary uh, founders over communicate because when you when you don't communicate uh, of course people make things worse in their heads than they might actually be and so uh, you got to tell people what's going on and it's 2016 I mean uh, people aren't stupid uh, we all know bullshit when we see it and so legendary uh, legendary founders sh share pretty openly in good and bad times well that's a, um, it's interesting um... My co-founder, Lisa, and I, uh, we share everything. And um, fortunately, most most of the news that we have to share is good news. So it's, it's always exciting. Um, but I wanted to talk about another point here that Jen McKay brought up, which was raise money or make it up with revenues. And so um, I want to know what your thoughts around that in terms of, of bootstrapping versus raising VC money. Well, um, there's a couple of things of note that are sort of interesting there. If you study uh, category king companies in the technology industry, which is the companies that, that, that create and dominate new spaces and ultimately create long-term value and, and really are the companies that change the way we live and work and play, um, the vast majority of those companies in the technology business are funded by top-tier Silicon Valley-based um, uh, venture capitalists. There's just no getting around that. And that's not a freaking accident. Um, and so there's something that 
uh, a certain class of investor brings beyond money uh, that makes a gigantic difference. And we could talk about uh, what those are, but the, you know, maybe there's a whole show in there or, or more. Um, so th there's no question about that. And customers make legendary VCs. Um, and so it's really the mix of both. Uh, in the beginning, we need customers for sure. Um, you want to prove product market fit. Ultimately, you want to prove company category fit. And company category fit ultimately is about will people pay for whatever it is you've created. Um, and so customers are a legendary source of venture capital in that, in that context. And so really for the startup uh, CEO, it, it, it's getting the mix right. And the best position, of course, to be in is to bootstrap in the beginning, um, get your uh, revenue numbers to a place where they're pretty impressive, and, um, and, and, and to be able to be fairly selective about choosing the right VC, because if you have enough revenue coming in, uh, it allows you more choice when you ultimately do go to raise, uh, you know, your, your first true series A or, or as you, as you go through the funding cycle, hopefully on the way to a successful IPO. Great. Um, I'm looking at another one here. That's, that's, uh, something that Dave, your partner play bigger mentioned to me once. And he said, get used to the feeling of not good enough. And, um, I thought that was interesting that uh, it's, it sort of goes into the, um, the mantra of if you aren't embarrassed of your first product, then you've waited too long to release it. Yeah. And I mean, is any painter ever really happy with the painting? Um, I've heard many interviews with many uh, legendary musicians who, who say they can't go back and listen to their you know, giant hit records because all they hear are the the fuck-ups on the record or the things they didn't do or so yeah I think we all have to be satisfied with not being satisfied <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, I've got um, I, I think there's there's a couple of, of things that I'd like to add to this um, and one I, I'll be doing a blog post on soon which is that every entrepreneur should have a dog and I think there's a lot of reasons why I feel that way. Um, now, is that a dog to cuddle with or a dog to kick? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a dog to be your friend in life and, and to support you in good times and bad. And the great things about, so, you know, dogs are natural antidepressants. I did not know that. Uh, yes, it's, it's a proven fact. Um, they also make you healthier. Uh, uh, children from families that have dogs uh, have less sick days. Um, and, uh, there's, um, uh, there's the, the exercise factor alone, I think is a big one, <clears throat> getting up and walking your dog three times a day, which you should do if you're a good dog owner, in my opinion, is going to get you up and move and get you moving. So it's sometimes as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to get stuck into a 12 hour day and sometimes hard to forget to exercise unless you have a really good routine, which is something that we should talk touch on because as you move into that kind of habit, you need to start exercising regularly. But so are you saying if you want a friend in the tech business, hire a dog. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or hire a dog. Listen to me. Buy a dog. But the dog will Maybe get you up. Hire a dog. Is there like a dog Uber service where they can bring over the dog and it's some loving There is actually dog 
and it sticks around for a couple hours, and it gets then it gets the fuck out of your house, and, and that's it. There was actually a, a startup, I believe it's called Wag, um, where you can r- rent a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, is that like is, is that like prostitution for dogs? No, or? I think it's actually I think it's actually free because uh, you're you're donating your time as as the dog sitter. Oh, there's a wag dog walking in LA. I just Googled that. That's what it is. Is that what it is? I think so. Well, there you go. Get a dog walker to your doorsteps in minutes. Yeah, it looks like you have to supply your own dog, though. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, come on. I should just be able to have... It should be like, um, where's the zip car of dogs? That's what we need. No, it's so wags not wags the personal dog service. There's another one where you can where if you're if you if you like dogs but you don't have one, you can volunteer your time to take care of someone else's dog. Oh, uh, okay, there you go. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, uh, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think having a dog is um is a, was a wonderful thing. Just taking a dog walk. I also think uh, you should if you're gonna have a dog, you should also buy a collection of. Uh, Hooded light, light hooded sweatshirts, so, so that you could dress like Mark Zuckerberg. I think that probably helps too. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, uh, let me think if I have any other thoughts here about uh, first-time startup CEO. Um, surround yourself with people who believe in what you're doing, and get the support of a team around you as quickly as possible to get your idea off the ground, validate the idea as quickly as you can. Um, There's so many easy tools nowadays to use to validate an idea. There's landing page tools um, that you can get up and running in minutes and you can run Google ads or Facebook ads in minutes to validate any idea. It's so easy these days. So make sure that you validate your idea before you do anything. That's the biggest. I think too many people start a company without like accurately assessing the market opportunity just because they think that's a good idea. Well, a lot of companies, they get product market fit and they think that that means they're off to the races. The next step is category company fit, which is will people actually pay you for this? And just because you've been able to get, you know, five to ten companies to pay you for it doesn't necessarily mean you found your category. Um, and so, yeah, certainly before you jam the accelerator and scale your business, you want to know you've got product market fit. That is to say, do, do users like it and want to use it and, and company category fit? That is to say, will people pay for this thing? <clears throat> so talk uh, along that line of, of category d- design and dominance. Let's talk a little bit about Warriors category redesign of basketball. Well, this is a fun topic. Uh, it's been, you know, an extraordinary year for the Golden State Warriors. Those of you who are not basketball fans, uh, you've probably heard uh, they set the record for the best best season in, in basketball history. Um, but And I'm not a huge basketball fan. I'm a complete uh, um, bandwagon jumper. Um, I haven't watched basketball since since um, Michael Jordan retired, really. Um, but this has been an amazing run. And, and the thing that's so fascinating about what's happened here and is germane for people in the tech world and in the startup world is um, the Golden State Warriors are very much a startup um, uh, led by a venture capitalist 
the company was purchased, um, a guy named Joe Lacob, who's a partner at um, Kleiner Perkins, one of the top venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, bought the team in 2010 and essentially treated it like a startup. And in so doing, has transformed um, the Golden State Warriors. And there was an amazing article written uh, just recently in the Wall Street Journal by a guy named Ben Cohen, April 6, 2016. The headline is, The Golden State Warriors Have Revolutionized Basketball. And the story is uh, really the story of what legendary entrepreneurs do. And so... Um, when when Joe Joe and team purchased the the, the team back in 2010, um, they started to analyze the game with a fresh set of eyes. Oh, and as a side note, uh, according to the New York Times, now roughly 25 percent of the NBA is owned by venture capitalists, private uh, equity investors, or hedge fund uh, guys, and so. Uh, big money guys are getting into it, and that uh, Lacob is the first VC. He's not the first VC to buy a team, but he's the first VC to operate one. He bought the Warriors for four hundred and fifty million bucks back in twenty ten, and back then it was the most ever paid for a team, and the team was in the complete shits. Um, so what did they do? And this is what the story and the uh, Ben Cohen story in the journal is really about. They actually did some big data science. They created a, a set of research. He created a brain trust around the company, just like you would around a startup with advisors and board members. Uh, they got Jerry West, the former uh, LA Lakers um, uh, uh, coach and Hall of Famer, to be an advisor. And they did a whole bunch of big data science. And as they started to think about, was it possible to uh, reimagine basketball and design the game from a different perspective, they went using data science research, they went for uh, trying to find what we call a market insight. So if you take a step back, we believe every entrepreneur starts with either a market insight, that is to say they, they find an inefficiency in a market and they think things should be different. That's what Airbnb is. Um, there's an inefficiency in uh, uh, the travel market. And, and they want to create something completely new that opens something up. So that's a market insight that you had this inventory, if you will, of couches waiting to be served uh, and homes waiting to be rented. Sure enough, they were right. And then there's a technical insight. And, uh, you know, a, a company like VMware is a technical insight. The founders see something technically that they think is worthy of pursuit and they go for it. In the case of the Golden State Warriors, as they did data science research into basketball, they started to focus in on the three-point line and they discovered uh, what Ben in the article in the journal calls a, a market inefficiency around the three-point line hiding in plain sight. And that market inefficiency was that uh, NBA players made roughly the same percentage of shots from 23 feet as they did from 24 feet which is where the three-point line is. And so the average shot uh, at 23 had a value of 76 points, or, or excuse me, 0 0.076 points. Well, the average shot at 24 uh, was uh, 1.09. So with one foot of difference, there was a pretty material change because obviously one was a two-point shot and the other was a three-point shot. And so the aha was 
if they move back just a few inches before shooting, that is to say, get behind the three-point shot, um, they could increase the number of points they got per game with that minor change. Well, that insight was a revolution. And as many of you know, basketball was created in 1891 by James Naismith, a Canadian, I'll have you know, who actually lived in Montreal and went to McGill for a while. Um, and over the more recent history of basketball, the game was how do we get bigger and bigger players who can get closer and closer to the basket, assuming the closer they were to the basket, the better they do. And um, uh, Joe Lacob and the team discovered this, if you will, market inefficiency at the three-point line. And then they said, well, what if um, we could build the team around guys who were good at that? And they had Steph Curry, and they decided to bring in Clay Thompson in 2011. And most teams at the time who were good at three-point shooting had one good three-point shooter surrounded by others. In this case, um, Kurt, um, Joe's son, He's, who's 27 years old, and, and according to the article in the journal, sort of their, their secret uh, in big data science, he says, quote, imagine if we could have two of those guys, i.e. two good three-point shooters. And then the move to Steve Kerr as the coach uh, really allowed them to double down on it. It turns out that not only is Steve Kerr a member of the five-time uh, uh, NBA championship Bulls, but when Steve Kerr retired, he had a 45.4% shooting rate on three-pointers, which was the highest in the league. So what did the Warriors do? They came up with a market insight. And they weren't the first maybe to have that insight, but they were the first to act on it. And they built a game centered around not going to the point and getting two, uh, going to the paint and getting two points, but going to the three-point line and getting three points. They put two big guys in there, and they hired a guy as their coach who'd never coached before in the NBA, uh, who was the best three-point shooter in league history. And um, the rest is 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 from is, is history. The NBA average from three points is twenty-eight percent. And Curry uh, shoots 27%. And um, the season record for three points belonged to Curry last year, which was 283 threes. And, of course, as many of you know, he broke the record this year with 402. Unbelievable. And they're set up to win another championship, fingers crossed. And from a business perspective, the other aha is, so in 2010 – uh, Lake Cub and Co. buy the team for $450 million, the highest ever paid at the time, and now it's estimated the team is worth $2 billion. And they found a whole new market insight based on data science, had the balls to act on it, build a team and a set of coaches who understood how, how to reimagine or, if you will, redesign the game around the three-point shot, and here we sit. And the interesting thing is they have redesigned the category of basketball. And now everybody else has to react to their new design, which is exactly what legendary entrepreneurs do. They have a market insight. They build a product and a company to execute against that market insight. And they completely change everything. Um, and there is a before and an after. And so uh, just like there's a before Facebook and an after Facebook, um, 
there is a before the Golden State Warriors and how people thought about basketball, and, and now there's an after. Um, and so a, a, a group from Silicon Valley led by a Kleiner Perkins venture capitalist applies startup thinking, big data science to figure out a market insight, and then builds a team with the right management, the right board, the right set of advisors, and then has the balls to actually prosecute the magic triangle around their insight and go for it. And here they sit on the edge of a second uh, straight championship and increasing their investment in value from $450 million, uh, uh, six years ago to over $2 billion today. And we think that's one of the greatest stories right now in the startup technology world. <laughs> Well, growing up in Oakland, for me, it's certainly a huge win. I love seeing the Warriors win like this for so many years. We could go to the basketball games for five bucks and sit courtside because they suck so bad. <laughs> but, well, and what's it like for you? And, you know, the only time people really would want to go see Golden State was when LeBron was in town or Shaq was in town or Kobe right. was in town or, or whoever had the hot hand, right? Yeah. It was painful, but it's redemption. Uh, is here and it's just it's wonderful to watch it was painful to watch them lose the game the other night i can't wait for today yeah well it's a bummer when steph's hurt but uh hopefully he'll be back today and uh, so f fingers crossed uh it's certainly the court is nowhere near as electric when he's sitting down true very true i i, I do hope we see him tonight and i uh, hope hope we put the rockets away and uh yeah we're trying to take the lessons of the golden state warriors uh, as a technology, as a basketball, the uh, uh, new category king, if you will, of basketball, and, and learn from it in, in a business environment. Awesome, Chris. Well, we're going to wrap up today. Uh, it was so nice talking with you again, as always. Colin, it's always great to, it's always great to hear your voice and, and, and fun to get another episode uh, into the books and uh, through the digital airwaves and uh, – a salutations and libations to everybody. Thank you for listening and play bigger. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>